so anyone who listened to uh, the last episode might have heard me in the middle of a mental breakdown. Uh, I'm not going to say I'm not too far away from that, but I'm a little better. Uh, in the sense of this f- book. I did something interesting. <clears throat> um, I went back to something else I'm working on. Another piece. And another book. Next book. And um, I got like three or four pages into it. And I'm looking at it and... It's flowing, it's, it's, do, it's doing all the things. And I'm like, what's the difference between this and the rock and roll book? And I'm looking at it. It actually appeared to me visually. It was interesting. You know, I don't know, you know, I don't know the fucking, how to write a proper paragraph. I know how to write a bunch of sentences that look like a paragraph. Um, so, uh, you know, in the, when I say a proper paragraph, you know, I know how to write in the English language with correct grammar and spelling. What I mean is, you know, where it begins, where it ends. That's a style thing at the end of the day. It's also an editing thing. It's so many things that what you see on the page didn't start that way. But the first thing I noticed visually was this: the newer book had these thicker, chunkier, longer paragraphs. And if I just kind of held it, you know, in opposition to the rock and roll book, the rock and roll book is much more, you know, obviously shorter paragraphs and like one-liners. Almost, it it almost reads like a like a like comedy bit. So, (laughs) I locked myself in my apartment for three days. And I went through this fucking book. I moved a lot. I didn't delete anything. I was simply just making things. I was just putting them together in a better way. And I'm, I, I can't do any more with this fucking book. I can't do it. I'm done with it. I'm done. <laughs> I'm going to send it off. To the editor, my editor, Nancy. Nancy Tan, shout out Nancy, she's the best. Um, and when I get it back, I'll do another read-over. And then I gotta start sending this book out. At this point, there's nothing else I can do. Uh, and I need to write the next book. And you need to listen to this next episode. So enjoy as always. Give us a follow on Instagram, Writing Friction. Twitter at Friction Writing. Get in touch. Let us know who you want to see on the podcast. It's, you know, that's what it's all about. And, uh, yeah, until next time, I'll see you all later. Peace. What's going on, everyone? And welcome to another episode of Writing Friction. And as always, today's guest is pretty cool. Everyone, please say hello to John Raymond. How are you, John? I'm well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, most definitely. I wanted to ask you actually before, I do like what's behind your right shoulder framed on the wall. Who is the artist of that? Do you know? This thing right there? Yeah. Uh, I don't know who the artist is. I found that... uh, at like a stoop sale in New York, and I okay. dug it. Yeah, this, however, is uh, Borges, and uh, this was painted by a good friend of mine, Storm Tharp. So um, Borges likes to hang out on my wall here too. Nice. Are you in your little writing area? Is this your writing nook we're looking at? Yeah, I mean, we're in my basement in my office, but it's um, it's a pretty sporadically used office, I will say at this point. Um, it's a uh, yeah, it's not a lot of light, and you know, with my computer, I can kind of wander around the house. So it's kind of, sort of a bit of a junkyard right now. It's not yeah. not super well used. Uh-huh. Yeah. You're in Oregon. I am in Portland, Oregon. Yeah. Are you were you born and raised? Or are you from there originally? Um, I was born uh, down near you in uh, Palo Alto. Oh, okay. Uh, 
in the and lived in Menlo Park until I was eight years old. Yeah. Um, and then uh, we moved up here to Portland uh, when I was eight. And then I've lived here on and off since then. Like I spent five years in New York. I, you know, went away for college, that kind of stuff. But, um, but yeah, no, I mean, I've had, yeah, I've, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm closer to like, I've been here a lot longer than most people I meet in Portland these days. I'll say that. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, talk, people say that about San Francisco, but I feel like they were saying that 10 years ago. It's um, always, yeah, these cities are that way. Every, yeah. I mean, yeah, again, we were talking before the podcast, my family's from the Bronx. And if you take my mother through the South Bronx today, uh, she'll be like, oh, no, 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 this is not, this is not the Bronx. <laughs> I know. Um, that's, oh yeah, that's cool. Um, I've been to Portland a bunch. I've been touring in bands forever. Um, and Portland's oh, wow. always one of those cities that if you're in, if you're a musician, I mean, it's absolutely, you have to, uh, yeah. you got to stop there. Also, oh, every time I think of Portland authors, I always think, and I always forget it script the last name uh chuck polanak um chuck he polanak, was, yeah. yeah yeah he was a portland guy what are some other portland authors you kind of run in that scene is there a scene up there yeah you know that's an interesting question i mean growing up here um i you know there were some writers uh i mean the big one not portland necessarily but in oregon ken kesey was obviously like one of the big people um then uh ursula Le Guin is one of our huge like you know gods yeah um she just passed a couple years ago um those guys were sort of always around uh catherine dunn who wrote uh geek love was also like active back in the day um and but it's been interesting uh like in the pre preamble you mentioned tin house but like uh you know in the years kind of since tin house appeared on the scene here in portland like there are just a ton of writers now. I mean, it's like yeah. really thick with writers. I mean, like, you know, Karen Russell lives here, Patrick DeWitt, um, uh, uh, you know, Cheryl Strayed, Lydia Yuknovich. Um, I mean, just like a ton of people and a lot of like pretty heavy hitters. It's pretty cool. Yeah. It wasn't like that when I was a kid. Yeah. I mean, and correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, you, you do write about Oregon quite often, right? I mean, it's what you, yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting when I talk to different people, different authors, you know, where they live it. So, yeah, really. I mean, you know, I've talked to a and Ivy. She lives in, you know, bumfuck Alaska and you know how she writes is totally different than, you know, how, you know, you probably write in Portland or how I write in San Francisco. Um, but if you could kind of take us back growing up there, did you always want to write about it? Was it something you were inspired by? How did you kind of decide to narrow it down to that? How did you start writing? Yeah. Um, well, you know, I mean, I was a big reader as a kid. It's not like I had, uh, I mean, the idea of, I mean, there was one writer that kind of lived in my town, which was kind of interesting. The poet William Stafford, um, his mom was actually, or his wife was my fourth grade teacher, which was kind of interesting. So it was just kind of this interesting idea that, oh, there is like someone sitting in a room writing somewhere in this town, you know, which is kind of weird. Um, but that was by far the closest to like a professional writer that I had any kind of awareness or, or contact with, you know. Um, but yeah, I was a, a very big reader. And uh, I... Yeah, how, God, I mean, how far back do you want to go with all this stuff? I mean, I let's mean, take it back. I mean, again, everyone starts, you know, I started writing a couple of years ago because I've been reading my entire life. I'm 33. Yeah. I started writing when I was 30. Um, but the idea of putting the paper to the pen, I had a distinct moment I could think back. Was there yeah. a time that you had, like, a, a, like I'm just going to write something shitty at least? Yeah, not, I mean, yes and no. I mean, I think there was a there were some moments, I guess, in my like maybe early twenties or late teens. Like, it wasn't so much writing necessarily, but that I wanted to do something creative. You know, like I wanted to make art in some sort of way. Were you doing anything artistic at the time? Yeah, I mean, I dabbled in a lot of different things through my twenties. I mean, living in Portland in the nineties was a pretty fertile place, you know, and like there's a lot of uh, just, you know, it was cheap and, and the, you had a lot of latitude to do shit. So, you know, I was, um, you know, I made like a feature movie that 
the cable access station. Like I was painting murals that I would put up. I was writing, uh, like curating art shows and doing essays for those. And, um, you know, uh, like just a lot of different kinds of stuff, you know, and, um, all of which was fun and interesting, but I'll say I did come to the end of my twenties, like late in the twenties, that kind of Saturn returns area, you know, when you kind of have to get real about some stuff. And, um, and I did realize, I think at that time for me that a lot of the like visual art and things like that, that I was doing, like were things that I liked, but that were not like giving me energy in the way, you know, like writing was the only thing that I actually would sit down and do. And like, it wasn't like I was just forcing myself to do it in some way, or like, it wasn't like an idea that then I just had to execute. It was like, no, something's happening while I'm doing this. Like, this is actually a, some sort of, you know, process that I can get into. And so there did come a point late in my twenties where I was like, I'm going to put the other stuff aside. I'm just going to like get back to fiction. This is like what I always kind of thought I was going to get back to, but it took a while. Uh -huh. um, and so at that point, then I uh, moved to New York and did like an MFA program at the new school. In Manhattan? In Manhattan. Yeah. Uh -huh. um, and, uh, and while I was there, like wrote a novel and, Oh, wait, hold, hold on, hold on, wait, hold yeah, on. Yeah, okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> we can slow it down a little well, bit. No, no, well, no. A couple questions. One, was that your first time in New York City? Well, I mean, I'd visited before, but... Okay, uh, okay. Yeah, but I... Um, yeah, uh, I mean, that's kind of funny. I mean, it's like I... I mean, by the time I got there, I was like, I don't know, 29 or 30, you know? Yeah. And uh, um, I hadn't put like I, I guess I had the idea that like to do writing I mean part of the problem of being in Portland and dabbling in a lot of different artwork is that there were just sort of no avenues to take it to like a next level and sort of you know do something that got out into the world you know so um, I think I got it in my mind that like well if you want to write something you should go to New York and like you know make that scene you know so um and when went, was this? What time? What era? Like what? Where? This is like you know around the turn of the millennium, I guess. You all know? right. I when the like, Strokes were playing the clubs. Yes, the Strokes were definitely a part of the world at that. Yeah. They they were they were emerging into the world at that oh. time. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, um, but yeah, it was funny. Like I wasn't sure. Like I, I knew I wanted to go to New York. I had a friend. Uh, uh, an old friend who had decided to go to an MFA program. She just she, she applied to the new school and I was, and I was like, Heather's the kind of person who would have done a lot of research and figured out like the best school to go to. I'll just go where she went. Like, why do I have to duplicate that? So that was kind of my whole rationale. Um, and, uh, and then it was cool, you know, I mean, being, you know, Portland has a small town vibe and it was, um, you know, through those nineties, my twenties, like, you know, I was definitely out and about a lot, you know, and like, there's a lot of just civic responsibility that I had to go to people's shows to go to people's whatever. And, um, it was nice to land in New York where there was like no obligation, like no one cared if I showed up to anything and I could just sit in my room and like do my thing. So and you only knew that one person you said, well, I mean, I knew a friend. No, no, I, I knew her. Then I crashed with a friend I, uh, who I knew. I knew some people there at that point. Like I, um, I was, another thing I was doing in my twenties was editing a magazine. Um, so like oh, okay. through that, like I also had, I, I sort of knew a fair amount of people by the time I got to New York already. What magazine? Then, uh, it was called Plasm. Um, it was, uh, you got a copy? Nice. Yeah. Cool. Uh, you know, it was like a kind of groovy art magazine kind of thing. Oh, nice. Are they still uh, the publication? No, nah, this okay. was, um, that went through, it sort of started in the early nineties, like part of that, like Ray gun, la early laptop publishing kind of, um, movement. And, um, I kind of hooked up with them more in the late nineties, mid to yeah, late nineties, I guess. And then I guess the last issue probably came out 
a while ago. Yeah. But and yeah. Were you editing kind of before you were writing? Well, before I was writing fiction. Yeah. I mean, I, in that, in that sort of twenties period that now I seem to keep talking about, like I was writing, um, uh, I was writing for newspapers, you know, like I was writing art reviews for the like daily newspaper and writing stuff for the weekly and, um, writing just little essays here and there and doing this kind of editing. So it wasn't like fiction, but it was in some ways actually really helpful preparatory writing. Um, mostly in that it was like, uh, unlearning a lot of like academic writing that I had internalized in college, you know, um, and trying to write in a sort of professional way for actual editors for public consumption, <laughs> you know, <laughs> something that people actually want to read. Something that that, yeah, that someone has to read and like, yeah, and that like functions in the world, you know, yeah. like that is, yeah. And I found that actually really helpful. So just it, it just kind of drains a lot of the ego out of it, you know, where it's like, okay, this is I'm writing for like an actual purpose here, and it's not doesn't all have to be about like every precious decision I want to make, you know? Yeah. 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 All right, so, so you're kicking into New York City. You go to this MFA program. You're hanging around. You got responsibilities. Were, when did you start that first novel, right? That was what you said before I cut you off. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, it was, um, I mean, I went there, you know, with a handful of stories that I had started. Oh, okay. Thinking that that would be, you know, the thing I would spend my time polishing up and doing or whatever. The stories. Stories, Yeah. But I got there and as I recall, like workshopped, you know, like two of them or something. And it then occurred to me, I'm like, what am I doing? Like, I've already written these stories, basically. Like, I've bought myself two years right here where, you know, I'm paying for this. And like, I have sort of, I'm just going to try something. So, and I was like, I should be using this to like, figure out a novel. So I had an idea for a novel that I thought I was going to be starting like once the stories were all polished, but instead I just like went for that and just did it. And what was that first novel? That was called the half life. Um, and, um, it's, uh, it's the one that just got made into the movie first cow that is out, um, this year. But um, the movie is the movie already out. Did it just come out? The movie is out. Yeah. So, we can get to that at some yeah, point, sure. but, um, it's, um, but yeah, and it was, uh, it was very much a regionalist sort of novel. Like it was very much about, um, you know, part of it was about the fur trapping trade in the Northwest. And part of it was about hippie commune livers in the Northwest and there were buried bones and, um, you know, um, yeah. Just fur, kind of fur trapping? Fur trapping. Is that a specific, is that a specific thing you had? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, oh, no, not, I mean, only in as much as I grew up here and, you know, have an interest in the history of the place, you know, so um, I think, you know, in that way that some writers do, they just kind of dig into their home space, you know, and so. I I mean, I'm, I'm doing the same thing right now. The thing is, we were talking before the podcast about the Sopranos and, you know, I grew up in Northern New Jersey and I grew up around like a lot of, you know, the mafia was around. Yeah. You experienced it. Um, but one of the things I'm working on right now is I'm trying to do a, like a mafia book, but in LA. Yeah. The time. Um, but you're right. I'm going back to the experiences yeah. I had as a kid. You know, I wasn't the mafia. What the fuck do I know about the mafia? But you know, what do you know about fur trapping? It's it. You go back to what you know. Yeah, totally. And I mean, you might not like exactly know what the mafia stuff is, but you know, some of the people you've probably like been in houses that are like their houses, you know I mean? It's like, you're bound like sort of just by neighborhood and culture and stuff to a lot of different things. I mean, that was what I found in New York, you know, like, I had always, I had sort of assumed I wanted to kind of work in that more regionalist mode. That was just a decision that I made at a certain point, but it became clear in New York when, you know, you know, I'd be walking around, I'd be like, I've never been in any of these people's apartments. Like, I don't know what their houses look like, you know, whereas here, like I can see people on the street and I'm like, yeah, I basically know what your house looks like, you know, like I've, you know, I just have more stuff, you know? So, um, 
it just, yeah, whatever. It's like, that's like this, this little extra uh, rung that you have into that kind of material. Yeah. And so how, what was the routine? Were you working on a routine for that first novel? Were you kind of doing things, you know, it's your first time doing it. I mean, you, I'm sure you had to learn a lot of things along the way. Um, was it a difficult process? Did you find that first novel an easy process? Um, it seemed difficult at the time, but I, I did not realize how difficult it could actually be. Like in retrospect, it was maybe not as difficult as I thought. So, I mean, it went pretty fast. It was like a two-year intensive writing process with maybe another year of like more sporadic edits coming in on it, which now seems like more or less as as quick as a thing can go of that of that scope that it was um but um it was full on i mean i i had a job i did get a job at that point actually working for tin house like that was oh, I was okay a, i was an editor at tin house uh for a spell during that time i mean longer than that time for like 10 years or something but um so i had i mean i had this job at plasm which you know paid me a tiny bit of money and i had a job at tin house that paid me a tiny bit of money um and i just basically lived in like abject poverty you know i mean i like you know it was just i mean i had for the last 10 years anyway it was not like i had made any money doing anything but i had really cheap rent like really cheap rent i was gonna say like, you lived at a time right at the very end i feel like of cheap new york rent <laughs> yeah i mean and i moved in with a friend who'd been there for a while so yeah. i was able to kind of even get on his coattails you know so um, I mean, it was in like Windsor Terrace, you know, <laughs> if you know that neighborhood and like, um, but I just sat, I mean, I had no money, so I couldn't go do anything even if I wanted to. And I didn't really want to go do anything because I was there just to work. And so I just sat in that bedroom, you know, like basically all day long for two years, um, <laughs> grinding it out. Yeah, totally. And it's like, it's a weird way of living, but it was kind of just what had to happen, you know? So, um, uh, I mean, I haven't, yeah. I mean, that was, that was some long hours putting in some really long hours. Yeah. So you finish the book. Do you, um, are you writing this book with the idea of trying to get it published? Was it, did you just want to do it just to do it for yourself? I mean, if you're, I'm assuming, you know, you said you're working at teen house, you're around people who are into the business. I'm assuming, how do you go about getting that first book published? Yeah, well, that's interesting. So um, I assumed, yeah, that like working at Tin House, I mean, yeah, I definitely wanted to publish the book. Like, I mean, I stupidly have not had any, like, I don't have any skills exactly. Like, there's not really been like another, like, I don't know what else I would do. You know, like, I was kind of on the plan that I'm like, this is, I hope something can kind of work out here and lead yeah. to something because, like, <laughs> I don't know what the fuck else I'm going to do. Yeah. You know, yeah. so, um, that, um, and I would have thought, yeah. And through Tin House, I was sort of starting to learn a little bit. Like I didn't really know much about the publishing industry at all. I mean, it was very mysterious to me. And it's like the I record feel, industry. If you're not in it, it's yeah. this thing that you don't, yeah, it's a, it's really like, no one has the, like, even the people who are deep in it don't even necessarily have a big map of it, you know? And it's like, I, um, I mean, I still really barely comprehended like what contemporary fiction was supposed to be like, you know, I mean, it was not like I was even necessarily reading a lot of contemporary fiction. It was, you know, it was still like some kind of, I don't know what kind of fantasy I was bringing to it exactly. But um, anyway, I, I was starting to kind of feel it out. And um, the, um, yeah, I would have thought that through Tin House, you know, cause a lot of agents, you know, agents send stuff there. They had a lot of tentacles together and, um, my friend Rob Spillman, who was the editor, um, did kindly kind of hook me up with some agent connections to send the manuscript to. Okay. Um, but none of those worked out. Like they all rejected it. So, um, it's a and, common uh, theme on the podcast. It's a, yeah. I mean, that's just part of the racket. That's the life we've chose. Uh, and, um, so at that point, like once that started happening, I was like, all right, this is like too many eggs in this basket. Like I can't, you know, keep asking Rob to just, you know, tell me another agent's digits, you know, it's not working. So I sort of tried to feel around for other possibilities. And 
I actually, I took a year off during the time I was in the um, MFA program to work for a film director friend of mine, Todd Haynes, um, yeah. doing his, uh, I was like his assistant on a movie, um, Far From Heaven, um, which meant I just drove him to and from the set and like got his lunch and stuff. Yeah. Um, but um, through Todd, I met a guy named Oren, um, who was a screenwriter and who I like befriended just kind of hanging out on set. Um, and Oren uh, had a writing partner sort of collaborator named Ira okay. who had a boyfriend who uh. was a um, literary agent. And so it was basically like a friend of a friend's boyfriend had a, had a, was an agent, you know? So I was like, all right, I'll go with that. You know, let's, shoot it down that ladder and see what happens, you know, or shoot down that shoot. And, um, that, uh, that agent was the guy named Bill Clegg. Who's like a really great. Agent. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. wow. Okay. Well, um, you know someone, I guess that's, uh, yeah, but it was like a weird, like Jerry rigged thing, you know, where it's just oh, like, yeah. okay, if it can go here and here and here. Um, and so Bill like, uh, read it and totally like was responsive and like got back immediately. And like, suddenly like we were kind of in business and he, um, turned around and sold it to an editor at Bloomsbury named Colin Dickerman, who's a great guy. And, um, that, um, was an amazing, like turn of events, you know, I mean, it was, uh, it's just, you know, it's like, I'm sure if you talk about the stuff with other writers, you know, it's like, it's never the front door that you walk through, you know? I mean, it's like, it's always ladders and backwards and stuff. And mm -hmm. so it's like, yeah, this was like, you know, how, how this ended up down that path was, there was no way to plan it, you know? Yeah, I mean... I, you know, I grew up touring in bands and, you know, yeah. you, you try to get signed by a record label and mm -hmm. things like that. The more and more, you know, I'm still new to this literary, you know, publishing yeah. world. My first book came out three weeks before the world ended. So uh, uh, I told uh, you, uh, no worries. The second book will be fine. <laughs> but, uh, but having been in the music world for so long, the similarities between the major record labels and like the publishing and how, you know, bands used to shop their demos around all it's so similar, even how they distribute things, all these things. Um, so you get that first book, you sell it. Do you think like now I'm in now, you know, I'm going to be the next big author or was it, I need to start writing the second book. What do you do? What happens after that first book comes out? Um, yeah. I mean, to me, I was, I really, I really did not comprehend like the, the, the market in any kind of way. Like the fact that someone wanted to like proofread it and print it and like bind it in a fucking with a perfect binding. Like that to me was like, this is beyond anything I could imagine. This yeah. is like, I have a fucking binding now, you yeah. know? Um, so that was pretty much the extent of it. Like, I didn't quite comprehend like how badly that book did, you know, like, I mean, to me, it was like, Oh, this is a book in the world. You know, that is a mark of success. Uh, you know, it doesn't, you. <laughs> to, me, to me, like I didn't, I didn't, it didn't occur to me that there were expectations beyond that necessarily, uh -huh. you know? Um, I mean, like I didn't, you know, read the New Yorker. I had barely even read the New York review of books. I think, you know, I mean, it was like, it just didn't occur to me in retrospect. Yeah. Like that book did not do well, but, um, um, but I don't know. I don't know what would have happened if I, if it had done well, I, I certainly would not have been prepared to like deal with, um, whatever expectations were there. Um, it wouldn't have changed the fact that you'd then have to go and figure out another book to write. You know, I mean, it's like, it's not like the wheels are greased and you just get to keep doing the same thing. Um, so I think the problem of figuring out what to do, there's just no, like, that's the hard part. Um, so, so for me, the next book was actually quite difficult, you know, like it was that second book problem where sophomore slump kind of thing. Yeah. Or some, yeah, a sophomore. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, it just, um, it just proved to be a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. And it never, 
you know, it was one of those books that just hemorrhaged out like many times. It took, this one was like a seven year process, you know, and it never became, it never, you know, you'd think after that long, you'd have some big, incredible like thing. And it just never happened that way. It just sort of remained anemic and barely sort of barely alive. Like, I mean, I think I got it to the point where I was like not embarrassed, but it was uh-huh. like, it just was not, it was a struggle. Um, well, were you doing any, I mean, you say seven years, right? So that's almost a decade. Were you doing anything else within that time or what else yeah. were other projects? Yeah. So the nice thing that happened in that, also in that period was, um, those stories that I had come to the, um, program with like that were germinating in my hard drive somewhere. Um, those kind of returned into my life too. And I, um, started, uh, you know, putting together a collection of stories that, um, made sense to me. Like I I was understanding that like this novel is not, is not like moving at the rate that I need it to or whatever. It's just, it's hard. So I, I needed something else. The other thing that was quite amazing in that period is, so I did <clears throat> write a story that got like, um, let's see, I, I wrote a story that got published with like some photographs by a photographer, a photographer friend of mine. Um, but after the novel came out, um, this film director, Kelly Reichert, um, had become, we'd become acquainted. Like she was a friend of Todd Haynes also. We were, so we had mutual friends with Todd. Kelly um, had a very small amount of money that she wanted to make a film with and was sort of looking for material to adapt into a film. And um, she read The Half-Life and liked it and asked me if I had anything like smaller to adapt. Cause the half-life is a fairly epic book. It's not like something that would have been easy to do. And so I did have a story and I shared it with her. Um, and it was a really simple story about like two guys taking a walk in the woods and, you know, reconnecting or something like totally not. I mean, for a short story, like fairly commonplace for like a realist fiction, you know, <laughs> sort of trip. Um, but not the kind of thing that like almost anyone would consider adapting into a feature film. Like, I mean, it really is like a small um, naturalist sort of story. Um, But she responded to it and decided like, yeah, I'm going to turn this into a movie. And so I worked with her on that. (laughs) Yeah. I am good. good You know, like, I mean, I didn't believe it was going to happen or anything. Um, But Kelly is a very, very, um, like driven, willful person and, um, and, and, a, and a really sensitive and beautiful filmmaker. And so um, she pulled it together and, and made a feature out of this story. And like, I helped adapt it to some degree, but um, more importantly, like we started a conversation that like was good, you know, we were like, yeah, we seem to relate to each other and, you know, understand each other. And so that movie became a small film called old joy and it like premiered at Sundance and did well critically. And, um, it was, um, and it was Kelly and I were both, I think realized that like, we would like to, let's, let's see what happens next, you know? So, um, again, I still didn't fully believe that she was like able to like replicate that in any way. So, you know, she wanted another thing to adapt and I had a collection that I was sort of working on. So like, rather than write her a script, I was like, oh, okay, I'll write you a story. So if and when it doesn't happen, at least I've got a story to like add to the collection, you know, like I wanted to write this on some level anyway. So yeah, let's just use that. So I wrote a story and it was like a kind of drifter story about a young woman who's, um, car breaks down on her way up to the canneries in Alaska. Like it's another like very Northwesty kind of thing. And, um, and really even before the story was even fully done, like she began the adaptation and we kind of turned it into the script and that, um, then went on and became a film called Wendy and Lucy that, um, starred Michelle Williams. And so it like sort of took it another bump up as far as like, you know, getting out into the world and stuff. 
Had that, real quick, you mentioned, I mean, both these instances, you had to adapt these things into a screenplay, right? Had that mm -hmm. been your first experience ever doing that? I mean, can you talk a little bit about adapting a short story into a screenplay? I had, um, I had done some, like, just script writing just with, a, like, friends a little bit, you know? Like, uh, one friend in particular, this uh, guy, Steve Doughton, a great guy, um, really interesting artist and filmmaker. Um, that's a whole story unto itself, but he's, uh, he and I had worked on a couple scripts, um, actually while I was living in New York and, um, you know, through working with him a little bit, I started to understand a little bit more the mechanics of how a script works, but it's really, it's not like a big mystery. I mean, it's like, if you write the stuff I write is like fairly conventional, you know, it's like, it has scenes, it has like moves in a fairly linear way. Yeah. Like it's not, it's not like, you know, unrelated. It's a cousin. It's related to film. You know, it's not. Well, I, I have a story, and I've, I've said it before. But yeah. right after after high school, instead of going immediately to college, I took some time. I did a couple of years. I went to school in New York City for audio engineering, oh, and okay. I got a job at a studio in, uh, I guess, a little south of Chelsea. And the receptionist at the place was a screenwriter, and yeah. I watched this woman for a year and a half yeah pitch her same screenplay only one she never had it and it was only one i yeah. mean uh, ken burns matthew mcconaughey anyone who walked in that door oh no the receptionist so she and yeah. it was just like so that's always just been my little thing so <laughs> i've always had this idea of screenwriters just being the anyone the anyone please read my screenplay please read yeah my yeah <laughs> i mean it is it's a humiliating job ultimately like even if you're, I, I didn't want to say it. you said it i didn't want to say yeah it. i mean it is i mean even if you're like reasonably successful at it it's humiliating i mean it's just you know there is like a kind of inherent um like there whatever there are issues in there but um oh, good. i mean i've been like insanely lucky because it's like my path with it has been like very organic and like has been very much bonded with this one person who you know has now i mean we're now we've now done five movies together and it's like a 20-year relationship you know so it is like a kind of like a i mean whatever it's it's really quite amazing it's a blessing but like um <laughs> yeah it's i don't know Screenwriting is weird. It, it's um, a weird one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, uh, I'm not making fun of her. It's just, it was my one one yeah. experience. Uh, no, no. I mean, those are, it's, it's, people are really desperate to get their stuff out there. You know, I mean, you gotta, whatever, people gotta hustle. You know, it's like, it's I like, got rejected yeah. by 73 different literary agents. So I get it. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, Rejection so, uh, is gig. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So are you, uh, all right. So you got two novels out at this point. You're working some stories. You got movies. Um, are, are you, I mean, are you writing every day still? Or are you, are you the kind of guy who's always kind of chewing things away at your head? Are you always thinking about the next project? Or are you kind of just living it day by day at that point? Well, like at that point, like, yeah. So do you have pressure from any, from the publisher? Like it's been seven years. We need this fucking book. No, no, no um, one's wait. No one's waiting for anything that I'm writing. It's not like there's no, there's no, uh, no one's <laughs> no one's clamoring for this so uh, yeah i mean the um i mean so yeah so the half-life the first book came out in like yeah. 2004 then like a this the short story collection ended up coming out before the novel was done so that came out in like 2009 i guess uh, um and that was called livability and um and and at that point I had two stories that had been made into movies already so it was like um you know, for a short story, I mean, it still got rejected by a bunch of places. It like didn't do much, you know, I mean, it was good, but that was a good, that was a good experience, that story collection. Cause it did like, um, you know, it felt like people liked it and it like, I, you know, got like a regional award, which was a big deal for me. And like, it was, um, you know, it just felt like a, you know, decent outing. And then, but then when the novel came out, the second novel, which was called Rain Dragon, um, you know, that was more of a disappointing experience, you know, not that I had big expectations, but it was just sort of a tough thing to be like, you know, this is, this is as good as I could do, but it's like not, you know, 
um, going to set the world on fire in any kind of uh-huh. way. You know? But but it was, you know, I you know, it was a lot of work. So not that it shows. Anyway, so that stuff had all sort of run its course. And then by that time, also, I had then moved back here to Oregon um, with my girlfriend, Emily, who's also a writer. And we had bought a house um, here. And so we were kind were of back. fed up here. with New York or you just wanted to... Well, no, I mean, we love New York, but um, Emily had gotten a book deal, uh, and so she had to write it. And so she had to kind of quit her job in New York anyway to, to do that. Um, and, you know, there was, we had, she had some money from that. Like, I had some money from that first book and from some other movie stuff. And, like, we were able, and this was, like, that period of time when they would just let you buy a house with, like, almost no money. So it was, like, um, we were able to, like, actually, like, buy a house, which we would never be able to do in New York. So, um, and, you know, and there was the sense that, like, okay, we're going to move there, get a house, and, like, there will be children and stuff. And so, um, and that is what has happened. So, like, now I have kids and, like, you know, we have, uh, you know, a different house, but it's, like, still in Portland. And so, you know, just the life, life was happening, you know, which was great. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that, uh, boy, God, we're really moving through this in pretty, pretty, like, <laughs> slow, slow fashion here, but, like... <laughs> I mean, no, I mean, it, it's just, you know, people, this is what people want to hear, right? You know, again, a lot of the people yeah. who hear the podcast, listen to the podcast, you yeah. know, they're working on their first book or they, you know, or like me, they, their, their first book I rejected. And I, I self-published my first, it was, it's a box. Yeah. Formula. Yeah. Uh, and so people need to hear that it takes seven years to write your second. Yeah, book. totally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I talked to Janet Fitch. And she was very, very, she wrote um, White Oleander. Yeah, yeah. Went on, you know, became a massive success. And I asked her, I'm like, so what happens next? She was, you know, and I, I even posted a clip of what she says, but she was like, it totally fucked her up um, for three years. You know, she said she was writing a book and at the end of three years, she had 900 pages and she didn't even know what it was. Wow. Um, yeah. And like she, her editor called and they're like, can we just have a title of the book? And she was, she said, she started breaking down in, in tears. Yeah. Um, you know, so yeah, again, I think people need to hear these things and everyone has a different path. Totally. Um, you know, all right. So you move back to Oregon, you're three novels deep now. Well, three books, like two novels and a story. I mean, at some point, like, oh, not, not exactly. Actually, I moved back to Portland and actually in 2005. So right after the first novel came out. So then, then the story collection and the novel came out like, you know, in the next five years or so after being back in Portland. So, um, uh, but yeah, but none of these things, yeah, we're making money or doing anything like to like, yeah, there was no, <laughs> there was no, uh, no pressure, you know, like mm-hmm. in, a, in a bad way, like there's no, no interest, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, really that's whatever. I mean, the, the books that I've written, yeah, they've not, they've not, um, gotten big audiences or anything, you know, it's not like there's a, you know. Yeah, people waiting. So, anyway, then I, but 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 I've been lucky in that the movie stuff has happened also, and so I've been able, like the day job, you know, whereas some people would have to go teach or go work in advertising or do whatever. I like, own a dog walking business. Yeah, like that, whatever. Like, I mean, there's like, there's got to be something, you know. Like, I've been lucky in that. So through the through the Kelly stuff happening, like we did those first couple movies, you know, and like then it kind of looks like you know what you're doing, like you at least have a couple credits, you know, mm-hmm. and then um, then my friend Todd, who had introduced me and Kelly, Todd Haynes, like um, he uh, brought me in to work on an HBO miniseries called Mildred Pierce, which is like um, you know that you do get for you know it's not like retire money but it is like that's middle class living you know uh-huh. so um so that was like an amazing job and project to do and um again kind of like kick the can down the road as far as like getting other like work you know so, so what was that i mean what was that experience like sorry re- everyone reba's barking don't well uh, it's podcasting in 2020 <laughs> yeah. what was that experience like working with HBO. I mean, you know, we talked Sopranos before the podcast. I mean, yeah. HBO only puts out the best of the best of the best. Yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit about that experience? 
Yeah, it was a great experience. It was awesome. Um, uh, it, it's a book that I really loved. Um, like I really love James Kane and, and that book in particular, Mildred Pierce was one that I really dug. And um, like I had actually given it to Todd, like there's a while when I was just giving out Mildred Pierce to people. Cause I'm like, look at how great this book is, you know? And so Todd was one of those people. And so I think that was partly why he felt obliged to, you know, bring me in on the like adaptation of it. Um, and Todd is a dear friend and it was like a total blast to like figure it all out with him. Um, and then, um, and then, yeah, you know, the HBO people were, I mean, in retrospect, it is one of those things where it's like, it's, that was much simpler than it will ever be again. You know, like we, you know, basically did the adaptation on spec and then got, um, uh, he and his producer, Christine got, um, Kate Winslet attached and then it went to HBO and they happened to sort of have some sort of like opportunity where we could kind of slip into their schedule. Mm -hmm. um, Cause often, you know, you end up in those things like with long development. Um, well, you got to do a pilot first though, right? <laughs> well, in this case it was a mini series. So, oh, so it was just the one. It was like, it was pretty much like, yeah, you know, here's like five hours of stuff, you know? Um, and so it just kind of went right through and, and it happened really fast. And it was just really, I mean, amazing. I mean, really like everyone involved was like insanely talented. And then even, you know, the people at HBO, it turns out are like people who just want to do really good stuff. You know, like, it's like, it's like, Oh, here come the suits with their like notes. Well, and you keep thinking like, of people. I'm like, you, you know, people imagine like the suits, right? That's literally yeah. what you imagine. But in fact, they're like, no, let's like make this more sophisticated and complex. You know, I mean, it's like, yeah. it was not, you know, any, it was only trying to make things better, which is in some ways, yeah, it's almost frustrating. You're like, well, when do I get to like yell at the suits? You know, it's right, like, yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> but it's like, there are no like good suits. They're just smart people. Yeah. Um, so that was like a really great thing. And like, it was through that, I think that, I mean, again, like, so through doing these films and doing the thing with HBO, like, in a sense, then I became like a real, a real screenwriter because I would, people would call me to do stuff and then it wouldn't get made, you know? So I spent <laughs> like, a good long, like, spell, or I have now spent, I have a lot of things in my hard drive that, you know, I've written for people and they've paid me, you know, to work on and then they don't work out. And, you know, that's like no stupider than a lot of work that people do, you know, I mean, um, you know, friends who work in advertising, they do a lot of bullshit that they don't, yeah. you know, whatever. I mean, everyone does bullshit that they have to deal with. So, yeah. and these have all been interesting things, you know, but you know, it is what it is. Um, do you approach screenwriting differently than you approach writing, you know, long form fiction? Yeah. Well, I mean, it depends. Like, I mean, with things that people, come to me with, yeah, I can be more like a mechanic, you know, where it's like, okay, you've got a Subaru, I'll like, you know, fix that. Or you want to, you know, turn this into a DeLorean, I'll try and do that, you know, or, or you want to build a ADU behind your house, I'll try and figure that out. You know, I mean, yeah. it's much more like nuts and bolts, you know, figuring shit out. Um, I mean, of course you want to be artful and you want to do a good job and you want to be a craftsperson, you know, I mean, it's like, um, you know, like someone building a wardrobe, you know, it's like, you want to do a good one, you know, so mm -hmm. that, that's more the attitude that I bring to that stuff. Barring, I'd say the stuff that I do with Kelly, which is more, it feels more attached to like my own writing. It's, it's like comes from a much similar place and it's stuff that I'm thinking up, you know, it's not, it's not like an assignment. It's more like, what's it going to be? And like, I got to figure out the thing from the ground up. So it's like, it's, um, that's a, that's a different, the ones with Kelly are, are, are different. Yeah. And, and not coincidentally are the ones that get made <laughs> as opposed to the ones that like yeah. other people bring, yeah. you know? So wh what are you working on right now? Are you working on anything currently? Um, yeah, so, um, actually happily, I just, uh, just sold a novel that oh, I wrote. Congrats. Um, yeah, I feel super stoked about that. Thank yeah, you. Cheers. Um, and that, um, 
that was a crazy one because it was largely written like during quarantine. I mean, it was like something that I'd been working on for a few months before and then quarantine hit and um, it like, uh, you know, quarantine is very good writing conditions on a certain, in a certain way. I'm only discovering my first novel. Tell me about it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, you know, lockdown was helpful. And so that was great. I like cranked it out and it felt relevant to what was going on. And um, yeah, very happily it has found a home and will come out at some point, but it's like, that was, that was pretty cool. So previous to that, I, I had a batch of short stories um, that I was going to go out with right when quarantine hit and um, go out. Think, what do you mean? Go out like on book tour? No, no. Go out and try and like get someone oh, to Oh, got it. Got it. Like, sorry. And, yeah. So, um, uh, but um, yeah, I think wisely, you know, um, we decided to like not try and sell it at that moment. Cause it's like, no one wants a short story collection by like a writer with no sales record, you know, like it's just, there is, you know, there's a lot of things not, they don't want right now. <laughs> there's a lot of things they don't want. And it was like, this was like a recipe for failure. So it was just like, yeah. let's hold off on that. And so, you know, instead it was like, I'll just, well, I had nothing else to do anyway. I was like, what am I going to do at home? Yeah. So it's like, I just fucking wrote a novel. And so um, I, you know, now there is, you know, God willing, like those short stories will eventually be able to find a place when the world sort of returns, you know, and then, you know, um, so yeah, so then this first cow movie came out also, that came out also the week that everything shut down. Um, so it was in theaters for like a week and then like now is living in another galaxy, but, um, but that was good. It was like a good, that, that was a great run. Like actually the making of that film and the, all of it was really really lovely yeah um and uh and then yeah so now i'm like trying to like pedal some more like tv stuff just because you know the writing books doesn't pay the rent you know so it's like um got to find other things to do <laughs> i'm learning it's a very interesting place man um dude, john yeah. this has been such a blast man thanks for taking the time to talk to us thank you so much yeah, yeah. um real quick um i always ask a couple of things uh, are you on do you do social media are you on any uh, instagram any, nah. no no nah, um really. what's your favorite bookstore um my favorite bookstore well let me think about that for a sec uh i mean i'm in portland so i should say powell's you know um, and I do love Powell's, but I will say I like the Powell's that's near my house. There's like, there's the huge Powell's downtown, yeah. but then there's like the small satellite one yeah. on Hawthorne Boulevard, which is near where I live. And that is like just a really lovely little, um, like neighborhood bookstore. It's like got everything you really like would want, you know? So that's pretty great. Um, I'll just go with that. That's easy. Yeah. John, <laughs> thanks so much for taking the time, man. Thank you so much. Yeah. All right. All right we'll talk to you soon. Take care. Okay. Take it easy.